the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Six points. This is SRN News. W262CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, what possible relevance could that be for us 3,000 years later? Here's the relevancy. If David, as a man after God's own heart, was moved to show kindness just out of love for his friend Jonathan, then shouldn't we be moved to show kindness just out of love for our Lord Jesus Christ? I think that's the motivation. That's the heart. David wanted to show love to someone because he loved Jonathan. And we, because we love Jesus Christ, ought to love others, especially his people, his family. Is not that one of the major messages of First John? As a father myself, I know how great it feels when a person shows special kindness to my son. One way to please God is to be kind to his children. One would think that no one would be kinder and more loving than those who have received the amazing kindness and mercy of God. But all too often, the recipients of grace find it hard to be givers of grace. We will consider God's kindness today on Verse by Verse. We are glad you could join us today as we continue to study the life of King David, a man after God's own heart. Pastor Steve Kreloff is leading us one verse at a time through the account of David's life, and we are now in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Pastor Steve has been serving for more than 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. In the 1950 movie Harvey, Jimmy Stewart played a man named Elwood P. Dowd, who was having some troubles because no one else could see his friend, a six-foot-tall invisible rabbit. They were especially troubled by Dowd's kind and gentle nature. As they were preparing to cure him, he explained to them that years ago, my mother used to say to me, she'd say, in this world, Elwood, you must be, she always called me Elwood, in this world, you must be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. Well, for years I was smart. I recommend pleasant. If you stick with us for the next three classes, you'll be able to give scriptural reasons why kindness and mercy are major issues. Now here's Pastor Steve. A child was overheard praying at bedtime this prayer. The child said, Dear Lord, please make all the bad people good and please make all the good people nice. Now, let me explain to you what that child uh, was praying for. That those who are lost would become Christians. That's the bad people who would become good. And those who are Christians would act nice. That's the good people who should act nice. Now, there's a lot of wisdom that comes out of the mouth of that child because the truth of the matter is that some Christians are just not nice. They're just not nice. In fact, many of us, and I'll illustrate it this way, many of us, especially those who have business dealings with 
with uh, Christians and non-Christians can attest to the fact that many times Christians are harder to deal with than non-Christians. And those of you who are in business, even though you may not shout out, amen, I know from speaking to you, that's exactly how you feel, that the Christians really give you a hard time. And uh, sometimes when we're going through some real tough times, some suffering, there are non-Christians who are sometimes more understanding than Christians, more supportive. Some of us have found our fellow believers to be critical and judgmental and to talk behind our backs during some very, very difficult times. So uh, we, like that little child, also would like uh, the good people to be nice. Now, why is this the case? Why is it the case that uh, sometimes Christians are, are just not nice? They're tough. They're hard, harder than they should be. Well, I think one reason is because many Christians have forgotten the important truth taught in Scripture, and this is the truth. It's the concept of mercy. It's the concept of kindness, which basically kindness and mercy mean the same thing. Kindness, compassion to those who are hurting. That's what the Bible teaches, that we should be merciful. In fact, Jesus said it was a part of our character, a part of our very beings. He one day, as he gave the what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's a, it's a given that those of us who claim to know Jesus Christ ought to be merciful, ought to be kind, ought to be compassionate uh, people. In other words, what our Lord was saying is citizens of God's kingdom, unlike the world's people, are merciful. We're full of compassion towards those who are hurting and are in need. And though there are non-Christians, some non-Christians, who are kind and considerate, generally speaking, the people of this world are unmerciful. That's how they are characterized by Jesus. We're to be merciful. They, generally speaking, are not merciful. For example, when the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 when he is describing pagan human society, which is very much like our society today, it's society apart from God in whatever age it is. One of the characteristics of society is that he says in Romans 1.31, he says they are unmerciful. They are unmerciful. And, and it doesn't get any better because Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 that when he returns at the end of the tribulation period, he will say to those people who didn't treat his brethren, the Jewish people, properly, he will say, depart from me into everlasting uh, punishments and fire because the way you treated the Jewish people uh, was unmerciful. Now, they're not, they're not going to hell because they didn't treat people nicely, but the way they treated people would indicate their heart's attitude. And their heart's attitude was a hatred towards God and a hatred towards his people. Jesus said, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was in prison and, and you never visited me. I was sick and you never took care of me. And they'll say, when, when were you in prison? When were you sick? When did you need us? And he said, as you've treated these, the least of my brethren, so you've treated me. Unmerciful. Now, when we fail to show mercy and kindness to those who suffer and are in need, we're very much like the Pharisees of Christ's day. And I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 23. We, we really will get to 2 Samuel today, but I want you to see the background of this. Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew 20, 23, Jesus is denouncing the Pharisees for what they were. They were hypocrites. And in, in Matthew 23, verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. That's judgment upon you. He said, hypocrites. 
For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. What was he talking about? These religious hypocrites, these Pharisees, these scribes, uh, were so meticulous in their observance of the law, the outward duties of the law, that they actually practiced tithing of the smallest spices of plants. That's what these words are. Mint, dill, and cumin, the smallest spices of a plant. They actually made sure they gave the right percentage of, but they failed to manifest the attitudes the law spoke of justice and and mercy, especially mercy is what he's dealing with, faithfulness, all these things. And, and that's why he said that you actually major on the minors. You strain out a gnat. You work at the smallest details, but you forget the majors, the attitudes. That's why I said you swallow a camel, an unclean beast. You're so meticulous on the little diddly things that you forget. The major issues, mercy is one of those major issues. Now, uh, we don't want to be like the Pharisees. We don't want to be like them. Jesus denounced them. We don't want to be sticklers over minor details, but neglect having warm and loving, merciful hearts towards others. But that's where a lot of believers are. We, uh, we just aren't nice. We're mean-spirited. Some of us are just mean-spirited. Uh, some pastors are mean-spirited. Some who would call themselves Bible-believing, fundamental, conservative, evangelical, whatever label you want to put on them, sometimes they're just mean-spirited towards, towards God's people. Uh, and, and some of us are like that, mean-spirited. Sometimes we're just insensitive, apathetic towards those who are in need. And some of us regularly attend church, just like the Pharisees. We give our offerings weekly. We might even have a ministry in the church, but we're just not nice. Kindness is a missing virtue in our lives. And so to help us to understand and remind us to be kind, a simple truth like that we need to be reminded of, uh, I'd like you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, because in this chapter, King David illustrates, gives us one of the greatest illustrations of what it means to demonstrate the kindness of God towards others. Now, we're not going to get uh, just the theology of it, because many of us know the theology of kindness, but we want to learn how do we do it? How do we practically uh, put this into, uh, into our daily lives? Second Samuel 9 is the uh, story, incredible story, of David showing kindness to a poor lame boy by the name of Mephibosheth. Now, don't try to say that three times fast. Mephibosheth, that's a tough one. I can't say the word idea, but I can say Mephibosheth. I usually say idea, but I can get Mephibosheth down. It's one of the most touching and tender moments in, in all of, of Scripture. And, and more than a historical uh, episode in David's life, it yields wonderful truths for us to learn from about how we can be kind and compassionate towards others. Now, uh, in these, and it's only, it's only 13 verses, in these brief uh, 13 verses of 2 Samuel 9, we're going to learn... Three major truths about kindness, about God's kindness. God's kindness, first of all, has, truth number one, 
a proper motive, a proper motivation. And we begin in verse 1. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, as the chapter opens up, we see that David is still enjoying a time of peace. He is the king over all the tribes now of, of Israel. It's a time of tranquility. We looked at this a few weeks ago, chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came about when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. And that's the general time period. Uh, there are no enemies to fight right now. David's won all the battles. So he's sitting back and he's reflecting. He's reflecting. And uh, during this time that he's reflecting, that he thinks about a promise that he made to his best friend, Jonathan, uh, several years ago. And, and the promise is found a few chapters earlier in 1 Samuel. Let's look at 1 Samuel uh, 20. Now, the context is this. David says to Jonathan, his, his buddy, he said, your dad, Saul, wants to kill me. He's a maniac. And, and Jonathan says, no, 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 you got it wrong, David. My dad wouldn't hold anything back from me. If he really wanted to harm you, I would know about it. And David says, you're wrong. He wants to harm me. Your dad is, is after me. And uh, so they interact, and Jonathan says, I'll find out for you. And then we, we jump down to, um, well, let's look at verse 13. If it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord so, uh, do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not make it known to you and send you away that you may go in safety, and may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. He says, I'll find out, and if he has any harm intended for you, I love you so much, David, I'll warn you so you can get away. Now watch this. Verse 14, if I'm still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? And you shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even from the, uh, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. And Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Now, Jonathan understands that David is the next king in line. Even though Jonathan is the present uh, son of the king, Jonathan knows that I am not the prince who's going to be king. That God's plan is to elevate David to be the next king of Israel. And so what he says to him is, is very significant. He said, when you become king, promise me that you will not cut off my descendants. Because that was the norm. That was the norm in, in that day. In ancient times, when a new king came into power, he normally killed every member of the former king's family. Why? Because he didn't want to leave anybody alive to challenge him. That was for security purposes. And so David uh, is, makes a promise to Jonathan. It's a covenant. It's an agreement. I will not kill your relatives. I will treat them kindly. In fact, later on, you don't need to turn there, but you can mark this down. Later on uh, in 1 Samuel 24, he makes the same promise to the house of Saul, which is the house of Jonathan. He said, I'm, I'm not going to kill them. And he, and he makes a vow. So twice David has vowed to spare the descendants of Jonathan, the household of Saul. But until now, he hasn't been in the position to do it. He's been on the run for all these years. And then he became king uh, over, uh, over just two tribes or over Judah, for uh, just a little while, for seven years, and now he's finally king over everybody. But with the conflicts behind him, the fighting at a standstill, David's thought turned to his dear friend, and Jonathan, and he asked this question. Let's look back at verse 1 again. Now you understand the background. Is there yet anyone left 
of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, keeping, uh, it's beyond keeping his promise. That's all part of it. Beyond keeping his promise, though, David's statement reveals the motivation of his heart. It's very important that you see this in seeking to be kind to the house of Saul. In other words, he doesn't just want to keep his word, though that's all part of it. He wants to be very, very kind to keep his word, but there's something else here. Notice the last phrase of verse 1. Kindness, he says, for Jonathan's sake. For Jonathan's sake. In other words, the reason for David's kindness had absolutely nothing to do with Jonathan's children. It was irrelevant what they were like. If they were nice, nice people, it's irrelevant. If they were not so nice people, it's irrelevant. But it was solely based upon David having loved Jonathan. Is there anybody in Jonathan's family that I can show God's kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Because I I have loved him. Now, what possible relevance could that be for us 3,000 years later? Here's the relevancy. If David, as a man after God's own heart, was moved to show kindness just out of love for his friend Jonathan, then shouldn't we be moved to show kindness just out of love for our Lord Jesus Christ? I think that's the motivation. That's the heart. David wanted to show love to someone because he loved Jonathan. And we, because we love Jesus Christ, ought to love others, especially his people, his family. Is not that one of the major messages of 1 John? If you keep your place in 2 Samuel, let's look at 1 John. All the way in the back of the New Testament, 1 John. One of the sub-themes running through 1 John is this, that we ought to love the brethren. If we claim to love God, but we don't love God's people, then, then John said, you're lying. You're lying. Let's look at that, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not Uh, Love does not know God, for God is love. You can't claim to know God and and not love other people. Verses uh, 20 and 21 of the same chapter. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now, love is not a feeling. We need to keep that in mind. And uh, you may not like certain people, but love means I'm committed to doing what's best for them, meeting their needs, being kind, showing them compassion, and so forth, and ministering in the best way I, I can. Same thing as 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know, we know John 3.16. How about 1 John 3.16? Where John writes, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I don't think he means physically, because sometimes that's too easy. I think he means that in our daily walk, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We ought to sacrifice. We ought to be giving. We ought to be concerned. Verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods, that is material possessions, and and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So John gives us a specific, tangible way we can love others. You see somebody who has a physical need and you have the ability to meet that need, you're to do it. And then John later goes on to say, let's not love just in word. Let's love indeed. That is to say, let's not just sing about it. Let's not just talk about loving. Let's not go up to people and say, hey, I love you. Uh, actually, the best thing is be quiet and do what's right. That's the best thing to do. 
Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he commands us to be kind and, uh, and, and warm-hearted and tender-hearted towards people. Now, um, in line with this truth, in line with all of this, that we should be so moved and motivated to be merciful to others because, because of this. We're the only people who really understand kindness. Do you, do you understand that? Because we have received the most incredible kindness and mercy in our salvation in Jesus Christ. We're the only ones who can be truly kind to others because we're the only ones who can comprehend it, truly comprehend it. Let me let me show you what I mean. In Ephesians chapter four, the Apostle Paul says this, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it's possible that we can we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It's possible we can grieve the, the Spirit of God. It's possible that that he would be saddened that God the Holy Spirit would be saddened by us. How, how can we make him sad? By not being kind. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another. Now that's a command. Paul says, put the other stuff away. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. There are no exceptions here. You have to be kind to obnoxious believers as well. I mean, that's there. There are no exceptions. And uh, we can do that because the love of God abides in us. Notice uh, also just a few chapters later, Titus, a few books later. This is a great, a great passage. Titus chapter three. And by the way, once we finish, Lord willing, once we finish our study on David, we want to move into a study of Titus. Never taught that book. I think it's exciting and uh, been waiting for years to teach it, and the, and the time is coming soon. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one. Titus, remind the church to malign no one, which means that Christians malign people, otherwise you wouldn't say this, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Welcome to the way you once were. That's the way we were. Now, some of us carry that over into our Christian lives, and that's why Paul says, hey, put it off. Put it off. Oh, why? But notice verse 4. But when the kindness of our God, our God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, when, when God appeared in human form in the person of Jesus Christ. He saved us, verse 5, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Hey, you be merciful because he's been merciful to you. You've been saved because of mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. God has given you a new nature. He's given you the Holy Spirit as well, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I would say God has been exceedingly kind to us. Would you not agree? He has been very kind. Not only has he saved you according to these verses, not only has he saved you from hell, but he's given you a brand new nature. He has regenerated you, which means to be born again, which means you have the life of God in you. You have a new nature, and therefore that new nature motivates you and moves you to love others and be kind to them. And you have no excuse. You have no excuse. You can be obedient by being kind to others. Regardless, 
of your personal feelings towards them. Being kind to people, especially other Christians, for the sake of our Lord rather than because those people deserve kindness is a revolutionary concept. But it is what the Bible teaches. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this lesson on the kindness of God on our next verse-by-verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he has been serving since 1981. These radio versions of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now here's Pastor Steve with some thoughts about giving and why you might like to be a part of our support team. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff with a special message about why people like you choose to support Verse by Verse with their prayers and financial gifts. There was a man who uh, was in touch with us and said he uh, had come to faith in Christ as a result of the verse-by-verse series that we did on Romans and what it means to be justified by faith. We're trying to have lives changed by the teaching of the Word of God. We think there's no substitute for that. If you've been blessed through verse-by-verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. For more about Verse by Verse Ministries or to download any of our audio files, visit our website, versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. To order a CD or cassette with the entire message we began today, call us at 727- Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.